0: From 12 News, this is Newsmakers.
1: Welcome to Newsmakers. I'm Ted Nisi. Tim White is off this week. Today we're going to sit down with two long-serving Rhode Island leaders who are leaving public office. Later on in the show, we'll hear from outgoing Secretary of State Nellie Gorbea. But first, 12 News anchor Patrick Little sits down with Congressman Jim Langevin, who just retired after representing Rhode Island in the U.S. House for 22 years. So uh, I think the uh, most obvious question is why are you uh,
2: stepping down? You're only in your late 50s, Uh, you know, uh, the job security is there. I wonder why you've decided at this point to make this uh, move in your life.
0: Well, it was one of the hardest decisions of my life. Uh, But, um, you know, after 22 years of uh, living in two places at the same time and and all the travel back and forth, uh, I decided that I wanted to stay closer to home and uh, have a a better work-life balance and uh, not be running myself into the ground all the time. It's an amazing job, but it's like drinking from a fire hose uh, every day. And, uh, and I want to do something that's a little different. Well, I'm still young enough and healthy enough to do things different. It, it, it's, um, it's always been my goal to give good public service to the people of Rhode Island and then to be able to leave when I felt the time was, was right. I'm proud of everything that I've been able to accomplish with the help and support of the people of Rhode Island and my, my colleagues in the delegation, Jack, Sheldon, and David, uh, and my colleagues in Washington. I I've, uh, prided myself on, on being a bipartisan member of Congress, and I have a record of accomplishment uh, to, that, that shows that. And so, you know, while I'm leaving, at, at, at a, I'm at a high right now. Uh, it's, I felt it was the, it was the right time.
2: Uh, You were the first quadriplegic in Congress, and uh, you uh, champion a lot of causes to make improvements for accessibility, uh, not only there in Washington, but also nationwide. Are you uh, happy with what you were able to do? Do you think more needs to be done?
0: Sure. I'm very proud of of what we've been able to accomplish on accessibility issues. First of all, uh, the Americans with Disabilities Act uh, made a profound difference in my life, and it was enacted 10 years after my accident. And it really facilitated my being able to serve in Congress to begin with. So I wasn't in Congress obviously when the ADA passed. That was in 1990. But I was there for the ADA Amendments Act that, that strengthened the American Disabilities Act after it had been weakened by several court decisions. But then, um, you know, being able to, uh, to operate and serve in Congress and, and, and propose and pass legislation uh, to make the lives of people with disabilities better uh, was something I'm very proud of, including the Airline Passengers with Disabilities Bill of Rights, that that, that set out uh, rights and protections for people with disabilities as they're traveling on airlines. I can do it every week, and and, and I know the challenges of, of traveling uh, with a wheelchair, traveling with a disability, and, and uh, at least we wanted to give more protections for people with disabilities, and I'm proud that we've been able to do that. And uh, you know, there's other things that uh, on on disabilities, I. I Still that will left to you know to be to be done, but i'm I'm proud of what we've been able to accomplish so far, and uh, one of my proudest moments of course, was being able to uh, preside over the United States House of Representatives as the first member of Congress in a wheelchair on the 20th anniversary of the Americans with Disabilities Act. Uh, it was such an amazing moment that I'll never forget, but I also know it broke a glass ceiling, and it wasn't about me, it was about all those people out there that have uh, disabilities or challenges in their lives to, to recognize that all things are possible, that uh, the, the world is, is open to opportunity, and that uh, even someone in a wheelchair can preside over the United States Congress. I thank Nancy Pelosi for that, uh, and uh, uh, Speaker, and, uh, and Leader Steny Hoyer, of course, and a number of other things that he helped to make my service possible in Congress. It's been such a privilege to be there.
2: Over two decades in Washington, uh, this may be the same type of answer that you give to the last question. But over two decades in Washington, what's your most proudest uh, accomplishment for you
0: personally? My proudest moment was being able to preside over the United States House of Representatives uh, as the first member of Congress in a wheelchair to be able to preside over the over the Congress. Uh, it, it was a seminal moment and really sent the the, the message uh, to all people with disabilities or with challenges that all things are possible. So it was a, a very uh, humbling moment, proud moment, and uh, I was uh, thrilled to, uh, uh, to be there, to obviously, to, to preside. And so thank Nancy Pelosi for that opportunity. She made sure that the, uh, the, uh, the speaker's rostrum was accessible. They had to add a, a couple of uh, lifts in the floor that were hidden. You can't see them other than when they're in, in use. Otherwise, just, it was at the house floor. The rostrum is um, as it's always been. Uh, but, you know, when I first arrived in Congress, the, the, the Congress wasn't quite ready for me. Uh, the things, the modifications that needed to be made, things like the, um, uh, the, the, the lecterns on the House floor. Uh, I couldn't get close enough to put my speech there, and the lecterns weren't mounted to the floor, and they, they you know, would move around, so I, I could knock it over easy. So I, I spoke on the side with a lapel mic, and it wasn't until the craftsman in the, in the House woodworking shop actually handmade these uh, two beautiful lecterns uh, and they're now mounted to the house floor and the, uh, the the table kinda, it comes out far enough so that I can pull close enough to put my, my speech there. Uh, it's an adjustable height uh, podium so all members now use it. It's a, it's a, and a beautiful addition to the, the house floor but it made, it was a reasonable accommodation that made my service more possible. And there are many other things like uh, modifying my office Steny Hoyer, our, uh, the, uh, our, our majority leader, was incredibly helpful in making sure that I got a, a first floor suite of offices uh, with an additional room as a personal care room, and uh, making sure that my, my desk was modified, the bathroom in my office was modified. It, it, it just they, they made the modifications that needed to be made, uh, but it was, a, it was a first, but now anyone that comes after me that, that uh, happens to be in a wheelchair will have no problem, for the most part, serving in in Congress. There's still things that you know challenge, I'm sure, still accessibility uh, provisions that still can be improved upon, but for the most part, the the complex is much more accessible than when I first arrived.
2: So, uh, conversely, if that's the thing you're most proud of, what is maybe your biggest regret in uh, 20-plus years in Washington?
0: Uh, So, uh, go back to um, proudest accomplishment, in addition to presiding over the Congress, the other major accomplishment that I'm really proud of is the establishing the first ever National Cyber Director in the Executive Office of the President. Uh, cybersecurity has been one of the major issues that I've championed during my time in Congress, uh, and we still have a lot of work to do, of course. Uh, cybersecurity is a moving target. But now we've created the, the National Cyber Director, and uh, that uh, uh, is the principal advisor to the President of the United States on cybersecurity-related issues. It took a lot of work to get that across the finish line, including uh, the support of and the work of the Cyberspace Solarium Commission, on which I was a member. But that was amazing. Uh, that was an amazing thing. Um, in terms of um, biggest regrets, being there on January 6th and seeing the insurrection uh, that President Trump had, had uh, incited was uh, among my biggest regrets or disappointments in seeing that and, and witnessing that, something I thought I'd never see in America. But it happened. And, and so I hope that those uh, who, who were involved in that insurrection continue to be held accountable. And a big regret, of course, is the, the continued uh, political divide in the, the Congress and the country. Uh, we've got to find a way to heal that divide, come back together. That's the only way that the, the way the big things get accomplished. And I'm, I prided myself over my time in Congress uh, be able to work across the aisle on every major issue that i 've worked on, whether it 's cybersecurity or uh, issues on affecting national security more broadly, uh, our nuclear submarines that we build here in, in Rhode Island um, on disabilities issues, uh, career and technical education. my great colleague uh, Glenn Thompson from uh, Pennsylvania, Republican that you know, he and I work very closely together on on career and technical education. I will miss uh, those efforts that we've able you know, as initiatives that we worked on together but I know that the things we did work on together we we've made a difference
2: I have to ask you about a uh, recent target 12 investigation we did about you uh, selling stock and this coming out after a, supporting a ban on trading by members of Congress uh, looking back is something that you wished hadn't happened do you consider that a bad look tell me about uh, your stance on that
0: well, I can tell you I did not make a million dollars and, and, and that's not accurate uh, yeah. in stock in the stock market uh, there are um, uh, provisions that allow members of Congress to trade stocks. You have to disclose uh, when you trade uh, uh, stocks. And I have, anytime I've invested in the stock market with the advice of my financial advisor, uh, it's been on publicly uh, available information. So I think, though, that the the reality is there's been a shift in the mindset of the public that they don't want members of Congress uh, trading stocks. And so uh, I've said that uh, that I would support uh... The, the bill that would prevent members of congress from uh, trading stocks if it comes to the floor for a vote uh... I, i'm sure at some point that it will come up for a vote in the future obviously i won't be there but uh, i'm sure at some point it will pass because in the minds of the public they, they want it, it to pass and 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 uh, so uh, so be it
2: final question for you is what's next there's been some rumblings that you might become the next president at rhode island college are you interested in that Sort of path, or are you just going to kind of sit back, relax, and and take some time before you uh, maybe take on another challenge?
0: Well, I love my alma mater, at Rhode Island College, and I want to see the college thrive. Um, I, I think that the Jack Warner, who's there right now, is the the interim, is doing an amazing job, uh, and, and he and I have met uh, because I'd love to be able to support my my alma mater in, in some way in the in the future. Uh, but he's there and doing a great job, and I and I. I've told him I think he needs to stay there for at least two years and I think that's what's going to happen. I think he'll be there at least for two, but I hope he's there for, for many more years to come. In terms of what I'll do there, uh, I would love to be involved somehow and, and we've had some discussions around uh, uh, some initiatives around cybersecurity that I might be involved with, but uh, I'll, uh, th- there'll be some announcements, uh, mainly dealing right now in, in, uh, in, in academia that, uh, that I'll be able to talk about uh, maybe in the, the start of the, the first of the year, but uh, I'll always be uh, supportive of my alma mater Rhode Island College. I, I think that Jack's the right person right now at the right time to be able to lead the institution forward. He knows academia, he knows uh, the college, and he and I are in lockstep on the things that need to be done to really focus on what Rhode Island College is good at, grow those programs, and then look out ten years to see what uh, the state needs in terms of job creation and make sure we're educating to those uh, uh, those needs. So uh, I, I support him in, in his efforts. and. And I want him to see him him succeed.
1: And since that interview was taped, it's been announced that Langevin will be taking a position at Brown University. Coming up, more reflections as we turn the calendar from 2022 to 2023. Secretary of State Nellie Gorbea looks back at her eight years on Smith Hill. Stick with us on Newsmakers. Welcome back to Newsmakers, I'm Ted Nisi. Nellie Gorbea has served as Rhode Island's Secretary of State for the past eight years. Now she's handing over the reins to fellow Democrat Greg Amore, a state representative from East Providence. 12 News reporter Adriana Rosas Rivera sat down with Gorbea to reflect on her two terms as secretary and discuss what's next for her after an unsuccessful run for governor. Here's their conversation.
3: I'm going to start off with the easiest question probably. Um, You've been in office for eight years, right, in this office. Mm What's your proudest achievement as Secretary of State of Rhode Island? Well, first
4: of all, it's been the honor of a lifetime to be elected by the state of Rhode Island, by the people of Rhode Island uh, to serve them as their Secretary of State. And I think, you know, I can sum up my proudest achievement as making it so that Rhode Islanders feel that their government in this office is working for them. Whether you're a small business owner that was trying to start a business in the pandemic or a voter that is struggling to figure out, you know, how do I get to the polls? Now you have three different ways from which you can choose to vote. And so making government work for people is my proudest accomplishment.
3: So you think you've made it more accessible for Rhode Islanders? Is there anything in that quest that you weren't able to do? You know, um, of all the things that uh, I I wish
4: I had been able to, to accomplish, I think the one is uh, building a, a Rhode Island History Center, a state archives facility, that would give Rhode Islanders a place to both celebrate our amazing history and our contributions, and also to reflect about those moments when we really could have done better. And so that that to me is the one piece of un, unfinished business that uh, I'm excited that Secretary Amore might actually take on.
3: So. Talking about the archives, you moved from you moved them from that flood-prone mm-hmm. area. It's a temporary home, right? Yep. There's no permanent home for the mm-hmm. archives yet. Is there like a, an update or or what what's going you on? Yeah, no.
4: So so while on the one hand I was you know it was great to be able to move the state archives from a, a fairly difficult situation in terms of where they were located in a flood zone over to where they are right now, one way Bossett Hill. Uh, and and a state-of-the-art vault that is really protecting these 400 years of historic documents. Uh, It it is still a leased facility. We are one of the few states in the country that does not have its own publicly owned and operated uh, state archives. And I think that given the important history
3: that we've played in this country in the making of the United States, we should have our own space. So we talked about your proudest achievement. The state archives is something you're very passionate about. What about regrets? What do you wish you had more time to do?
4: Um, you know, it's, it's, it's been a great eight years. There's really, other than the state archives and not being able to really um, build that and, and make sure that we, we, we put that forward, um, I, it's been fantastic. You know, we brought together a variety of communities through the ability of this office to promote civic engagement. And I'm very proud of the work uh, that that we've been able to accomplish both in the civic space and in the economic space. Do you
3: think that the Secretary of State's office needs more power in certain areas? Is there something you would change about the office's purview? You know, I think
4: that... uh leadership matters, and so in many ways this is an office that historically had been a filing cabinet and now has been transformed into being an agent for people, whether you're a small business owner or a voter or somebody who's interested in rediscovering their history uh, or want to hold government accountable. So uh, I'm excited about Secretary Amore's ability to really continue this transformation and take it even beyond uh, what I was able to do in my eight years.
3: Speaking of of Secretary-Elect Amore, have you spoken with him? What advice have you given him? No, Secretary-Elect Amore and I have uh,
4: talked and uh, I'm excited uh, to see him bring about the ideas that he campaigned upon. And uh, I think he's gonna be a fantastic uh, Secretary of State.
3: So you, you, in your role as Secretary of State, you were also a, you know, voice or face for the Latino community in Rhode Island. What do you see as the future of Latinos in politics in Rhode Island and do you see yourself in it?
4: Yeah, no, so the Latino community, just like other communities in our state, is rapidly uh, taking uh, leadership positions and this is great. Whether you're a member of the black community, or a member of the Latino community, the Asian American community, these are all communities that deserve a space at the leadership table. And one of my proudest uh, accomplishments as Secretary of State was to open up access to the ballot box so that we can get more people from diverse backgrounds elected uh, into these important positions. Rhode Island serves as, a, a, I think, a beacon of progress for the rest of the country in how. Latinos can get elected and, and have leadership positions. So you're going from one Latina elected at a statewide level to now two Latinos uh, from different ethnic backgrounds. I'm Puerto Rican. Uh, treasurer-elect James Dio is Colombian. Uh, Lieutenant Governor Sabina Matos is Dominican. So you're seeing the wealth, the, the breadth of the Latino community in the elected ranks here. You're seeing record numbers of members in the General Assembly of a Latino background, of different backgrounds. This is all fantastic and, bro- and will bear good fruit for the future of our state.
3: Yeah, you wrote about it in your recent uh, chapter in that book about how Rhode Island is kind of leagues ahead than other states mm-hmm. in the amount of Latinos elected. Why do you think it's important though? Why is it important to have you know, the, uh, DIOSA, to have Matos in those positions, to have you in this position?
4: Leadership matters, diversity matters in, in what gets prioritized in government. And our best public policy solutions come when there's a diversity of perspectives, backgrounds, and opinions around the policy-making table. That is the secret of success as a community, to make sure that all of our members have a place at the leadership table.
3: You mentioned recent elections, opening up access to the ballot box, You know, making sure that there's access in Espanol and whatnot. Um, Do you think anything in Rhode Island uh, elections still needs to be reformed or changed?
4: There's always work to be done in elections administration in this state. You know, from the minute the Constitution was written, it had to be amended. Our democracy is a work in progress. And so there will be other things that need to be taken into account, technologies that develop. You know, I'm very concerned about misinformation and disinformation. in in the realm of elections and I'll be doing some work in that area hopefully in the next uh, several months. Uh, So absolutely, we cannot uh, sleep uh, at the wheel here. Elections administration requires ongoing, active administration and management and leadership uh, by our community.
3: Do you, you know, throughout uh, while you were running for governor, you obviously were also secretary of state and handling issues that that arise in the in the campaigns for all candidates. Um, Do you think that the uh, Secretary of State and the Board of Elections can continue to work sort of in tandem or should they, so just one of them manage elections? How should that change? You know, I think
4: that, um, I think that Elections Administration in Rhode Island needs to work really well together. So the local Boards of Canvassers, the Board of Elections and the Secretary of State must work well together. Uh, Secretary-Elect Amore has a proposal to have the Secretary of State be an ex-officio member of the Board. I think that's a step in the right direction. I do feel that that kind of connectedness would be a step forward.
3: By ex officio, you mean re- removing the
4: Secretary of State? No, no, no. So, so the Secretary of State right now doesn't serve on the Board of Elections. Mm-hmm. Ex officio so just means added- that it would be a non-voting member. Because still, the Secretary of State is you know, on the ballot on occasion, right, every four years. So but, but by being an ex officio member of the Board of Elections, they would have, the person would have the right to be at the meetings in a, in a full, you know, in, a, in a capacity where they're there for all the conversations.
3: So it would give the Board of Elections and it, it, the it local would, board canvassers would, the most of the power in the elections?
4: No, no, no. I think that, that, that the structure that we have, where the Secretary of State uh, provides a lot of the public information on elections, ha- handles the voter lists, helps prepare the ballots, The Board of Elections and the local Boards of Canvassers then run the day of elections is a good system. The additional change that Secretary-Elect Amore proposed, which is to have an ex officio position for the Secretary of State on the Board of Elections board, I think would help connect these two separate agencies in a positive way.
3: Any regrets on how as a candidate and your office and the Board of Elections and how everyone handled the issue with the voting machines during the elections. We
4: uh, have been able to work through um, a lot of the issues um, in with regards to the challenges that the new voting machines presented. And, um, you know, I know that Secretary-elect has got a firm handle on this going forward.
3: What's next for you?
4: Well, I am excited about uh, being invited to join the Pell Center. Uh, for international affairs and public policy over at Salva Regina University in Newport. Uh, I will be a visiting senior fellow in cybersecurity and democracy and I look forward to over the next several months doing some convenings, bringing elected officials together to tackle the issue of misinformation and disinformation, particularly in languages other than English. We have a real problem in this country where um, bad actors are feeding bad information to communities that don't completely manage English and operate in other languages. And this is a particular big issue for the Latino community, not just in Rhode Island, but across our country.
3: And that fellow position, is it it, uh, research? Do you teach at Salvi Regina? How does that work? I'll I'll be researching. I will be bringing people together
4: to have conversations around these issues. And I'll be trying to do some capacity building among elected officials, particularly Latino elected officials in the region.
3: So do you plan to run again in the future for any elected office?
4: Uh, I am uh, done with electoral politics for me as a candidate, Uh, but there are many other ways in which uh, you can contribute to the well-being of of your community and of your state. And I look forward to doing that out of the private sector uh, to somehow figure out a way to help build community and to move Rhode Island forward.
3: It sounds like you have unfinished business, so why make that decision to not run again?
4: There is always going to be unfinished business in the public sector. Um, And I am grateful to Rhode Islanders for this amazing time as their Secretary of State. But I feel that uh, right now, in in this moment, I can say that uh, it is through the private sector that I will make a change, that I will make a difference in our community.
3: Say, you say,
4: it is time for others to lead that charge in elections and in elected life.
3: You spoke a couple of weeks ago with the Knight Foundation on disinformation. Mm-hmm. Um, we, we covered it and so in your experience, you know, I think that talk mostly focused on the national level, but mm-hmm. since you'll be doing work like this at Salve Regina, Is that type of disinformation targeting Latino communities happening here in Rhode Island? Absolutely,
4: misinformation, disinformation is targeting the Latino community in our state. We had a really challenging situation, for example, in public health with vaccinations, with COVID-related health information uh, because the internet has allowed information to come in from all places. It's not like the old days where you would only hear it in the radio and the TV or in your local press. Information is being disseminated from all over the place. And so it's very, very important that we educate our communities, all of our communities, as to how to judge whether or not information that they are being fed is actually accurate and and for the good of their own well-being.
1: That was 12 News reporter Adriana Rosas-Rivera talking with outgoing Rhode Island Secretary of State Nellie Gorbea. And that's all for us this week on Newsmakers. For all of us here at WPRI 12, I want to wish you a happy, healthy new year. Tim White and I promise another year of must-see in-depth interviews here on Newsmakers all through 2023. We hope you'll join us every weekend on TV, online, and on our podcast. I'm Ted Nisi. We'll see you next week on Newsmakers.